This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yes. Carlson. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, Brian Calm. Hey, Elon. Hey, everybody. It's been so nice to have a week of hockey this week. We have so much to talk about. Yeah, this has been a crazy week, and this is going to be a weird episode, because I feel like the whole episode is mainly just going to be injuries and outjuries. It seemed like every day this week I was making notes for this episode, another player injured, another player injured. It's crazy. So a lot of impacts to everyone's fantasy teams, both in terms of if you've lost players, you need to pick up new free agents, or to see which players are getting new opportunities. We're going to get into all of that. The place to see... The impacts of all of these injuries is dailyfaceoff.com because first of all, you go to their news section or you follow them on Twitter at dailyfaceoff and you see who's getting injured or who's coming back. There's also a lot of out juries. Then you go to the line combos of the team and see who's taking over on the top power play, who's now in the top six that wasn't. So you get all that information at Daily Faceoff. We are presented by Daily Faceoff, proudly so. That was a great interview that you did, Elon, on Tuesday with their editor-in-chief, Brock Sagan. Lots of good tidbits. If you haven't heard it yet, I suggest you go back in our podcast history and check it out. All right, and let's get going. I'd say the number one headline, maybe this is arguable, (laughs) write in if you think another one of these injuries or outreaches is actually more noteworthy, but I think the number one headline this week is Kyle Ocposo is injured. It's an upper body injury. They're saying six to eight weeks, which means he may come back in time for your fantasy playoffs. Hopefully, if you have Kyle Ocposo and you're able to just stash him in your IR. But let's first look at what is the impact on the Islanders, because Ocposo, of course, plays with John Tavares. So now that means someone new gets to come play with John Tavares. So that must mean a big bump for someone. Who is it, Brian? It looks like it's going to be Mikhail Grabowski. He's the one who's gotten the immediate bump. He's instantly played four, five, six minutes more per game than he was playing just four or five games ago. He hasn't had a great season so far this year. We actually touted him earlier in the year as somebody to keep an eye on. He and Kuleman in a good situation in Long Island. We thought maybe they'd get put into an offensive role or given more opportunity or responsibility or trust than they have in the past. And actually they were, but it was in a defensive sense. Grabowski has only managed 15 points in 40 games played so far this year, but he leads the Islanders in shot attempt differential, better known as Corsi or Possession. So to say his season has been disappointing would be off base unless you are a fantasy owner, 
But I'm excited to see him on the top line. He's been at 50 points or right on the doorstep three times in his career, and if not for injuries, he would have hit that mark five times. I still trust in his ability to produce, and I'm excited by the opportunity he'll get on that first line, but I'm not sure I'm rushing to add him unless you've really got some dead weight on your roster. Though I should mention that I think a lot more people probably own Franz Nielsen in their pools. It's actually the same percentage in Yahoo leagues who own Nielsen and Grabowski, but Nielsen is scoring at a lower rate than Grabowski. Grabowski has a points per 60 rate that puts him seventh on the aisle, so just outside the top six and not really looking to him for offense, and he's not necessarily giving it to them either, but he could be worth a flyer in a cycle spot or if somebody is really disappointing you, like Jimmy Hayes was scratched last game. If you don't want to worry about what's going to happen next with him, you might want to drop Jimmy Hayes for Mikhail Grabowski. All right, so you mentioned Franz Nielsen. I was looking at the new lines and power plays since Ocposo was injured, and I do see that while Grabowski's on the top line with John Tavares, it's Franz Nielsen that's up on the top power play. So which of the two would you want to have if they were both available? Nielsen being on the power play is a good reason to take him if I'm choosing between the two, because all told, the Isles have been shuffling their lines a whole lot this season. Josh Bailey was the first one to stick up on that top line since the beginning of the season when Corey Conacher had a string of like six or seven games in that spot. Nielsen and Grabowski's even strength production has been similar. Grabowski has actually outpaced him a little bit, but Nielsen's time on the power play puts him over the top in my books. I feel like maybe I'm, I'm a little conflicted about Grabowski. I think it's kind of a wait and see. I don't think you're going to want to drop anyone immediately who might have value to you, but you're going to want to wait and see if Grabowski sticks there and what he's going to do if given the chance to produce offensively for a consistent amount of time. And I'll just mention one more thing on the topic. If you're someone who is, let's say, out of your team's playoffs and you're in a keeper league, now might be a good time to go for Kyle Ocposo because there might be people who are fighting for playoff spots or fighting to win the President's Trophy for their league. And, you know, Ocposo's just sitting there in their IR doing nothing. And you could offer them someone who's, say, a 60-point player that will help them immediately. And you could get Ocposo for next season. That could be a win-win. So something to consider if you're someone out of contention, I would say. Though I would also say if you're in contention and you have Ocposo on your IR and it's a keeper league, I'd probably hang on to him because I think he's going to be very awesome for a very long time, like we've already talked about in previous episodes. Good point, Elon. Any injury at this time of the year is an opportunity for you if you're struggling in your league to compete, if you don't think you're going to make the playoffs, or if you think you might make it but not really contend. These are good opportunities to give people assets who need them right now in exchange for players that you can use in the future. All right, next injury on the list is Dion Phaneuf. He's got a hand injury and is going to be out for at least another week or so. I'm not sure if it's worth talking about who on the Leafs takes over his role on the top power play and getting all those minutes because the Leafs just don't seem to ever score any goals. Though there's also news about the Leafs with some outjuries. Holland, Lupul, and Komarov have all come back recently. Not that it's helped a whole lot. They got shut out again yesterday. So Brian, any sort of impact or any advice that you want to give regarding Faneuf's injury or any of these outjuries I just mentioned? There's like a big red flag for all Toronto Maple Leafs right now, and it's not going to last the rest of the season. They're going to recover and return to normal eventually, but it's hard to look past that they have only one goal or less in 10 of their last 13 games. Nobody's scoring I don't think you need to jump 
at anybody who's available for the lease or who might be stepping up with FNUF out for a little while longer. If you were looking at who's going to step up, you're probably looking at Morgan Riley. He's carrying a little bit more of the load since FNUF has been gone. His ice time has seen a slight uptick. I also noticed that Jake Gardner is getting a lot more minutes. He has been, yeah. Total ice time last two games, about 26 minutes. Before that, he was playing, let's see, 21, 17, 21, 20. So it's not like he had very little responsibility before. He had a fair amount, but it's definitely seen a rise with FNUF out. And I I don't know what's going to happen when FNUF comes back. And it's not going to be long until he does. So I don't really suggest making any moves just based on this FNUF injury. If you want to make a move based on an injury, or I should say an outjury, I don't think Joffrey Lupul would be a terrible ad. I know I just said stay away from all Leafs, and you don't need to rush to pick him up, but if it makes sense in your lineup, he's probably a guy, if he can stay healthy, that can help you for the rest of the season. This year, he's got nine goals and eight assists for 17 points in 28 games played. He is benefiting from a good shooting percentage, but even if you look at last year, he had 44 points in 69 games, 22 goals, 22 assists, 191 shots on goal, so just over three a game. He is somebody who is not free agency fodder when all things are going well, and that means the Leafs are playing reasonably decent, and he's healthy, and he's healthy, one of those boxes we can check, and I expect things to normalize eventually for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah, so far no points for Lupul in his two games since coming back from injury, but we'll see. It's interesting looking at the Leafs' power play. Like in their last game, they had Peter Holland up on the top power play, and Lupul was on the second one. Of course, they scored no goals, so I'm sure things will get shaken up soon. All right, on to the next injury. And really, I'd really like it if I didn't have to keep saying on to the next injury. Like, why are there so many injuries? Last week, I think, was the most I've seen in a week. But anyways, okay, Eric Johnson on Colorado, he's got a knee injury. And the last report was that he'll be gone three to eight weeks. So a lot of variability there, but at least three weeks. And, you know, when you think of Colorado's defense, you know, I could think of Tyson Berry and Eric Johnson. And aside from that... There's not really anyone there that's ever been noteworthy fantasy-wise. So, Brian, is there anyone now that takes over any of the opportunities that Eric Johnson had? Well, someone's going to have to step in. Whether they are able or capable of taking advantage, I'm not so sure. I'm going to let you know who those candidates are. You have Brad Stewart, Nick Holden, Jan Hejda, Nate Gennon, and Zach Redmond. And it looks like Holden and Redmond are third and fourth so far this season in power play time on ice behind Johnson and Barry. So I think Holden has seen a slight bump already, but actually I would be looking to Redmond if I was coaching Colorado and looking at the numbers. He has the third best points per 60 minutes on the Colorado blue line at even strength and actually the best points per 60 minute rate on the power play, although he has seen limited time. He was a depth player in Winnipeg the last two seasons playing only 18 games before appearing in 28 with the Avalanche so far this year. But again, we're kind of stretching here. This is Zach Redmond. I don't see him helping your team a whole lot long term. I think your blue line would have to be in pretty sorry shape for you to be considering this move. I think you just consider it a wash. And if you have Tyson Berry, maybe you can celebrate a little bit. He had a really great start to the season, 18 points in 21 games. But since December 1st, he has 11 points in 26 games. So perhaps the extra responsibility or the abs needing to lean on him is going to help catalyze his production a little bit and maybe he can return closer to the pace that he began the season at than the one he's currently on. 
All right, let's talk about one more injury. There's a couple that I guess we won't talk about. Kevin Bieksa's down on Vancouver. Christian Ehrhoff might have a concussion over in Pittsburgh. Not really any noteworthy people taking over their spots. Not like they had the most noteworthy spots anyways. The one other injury I want to talk about this week is Yori Laterra. It's not known yet how long he'll be out, maybe only a week or two. But I think it's interesting because we've already talked about how he's really slowed down his production since his super hot start. So you'd think maybe if St. Louis puts someone else in his place on that second line while he's injured and things go well, maybe it'll stay that way. Brian, what's happening right now in St. Louis? Well, the word for what's happened to Yuri Laterra is regression. That's what happened. And we saw it coming. And I feel like I'm excited for Paul Stasny now because he's up on that second line. And if you look at his January numbers, he was a point-per-game player almost. Two goals and eight assists for 10 points in 11 games. Three multi-point games in that stretch. And the reason I was high on him at the start of the season because I thought he was going to be in that second-line center position. That's what I was excited about, that he'd have the opportunity to see easier minutes than the top-line center would have the opportunity to see. And as we said, and as I've probably said enough times, like he was being used in a shutdown role. He was seeing the other team's best players every time he was on the ice in Colorado. He hasn't really had the opportunity to be in a scoring role while seeing easier competition in St. Louis yet. This is his chance, and he's really come on pretty well in the last couple months of the season. I'm excited to see what he can do there, and I don't know if he sticks past Laterra's injury, but I do think that this is where he belongs in a lineup. He is a second-line center, and we'll see what he does with the opportunity. All right, so with that, let's get out of talking about injuries. Let's go to the other side of the coin. Let's talk about some outjuries, players that are finally back after long or short absences. Not sure if there's much to say about him, but hooray, hooray, Patrick Hornqvist is back. Penguins still aren't fully healthy, and Hornqvist now is on the second line with Nick Spalling and Brandon Sutter. So not exactly the cushy situation that we were all excited about when Hornqvist went to Pittsburgh in the first place. But, you know, it'll happen. Malkin will come back soon. And then things will be nice. But definitely, right now, it's looking like David Perron and Chris Kunitz, they're the ones playing with Crosby on the first line. So if you grabbed Perron back when he was traded from Edmonton, you must be really happy right now. You're one of those people, Elon. We are one of those people. You did the deed. You added Perron, and it's exciting to see what's going to happen with him right now. He's in a great position. And Hornqvist, of course, it'd be foolish. Like, maybe if your league didn't have an IR spot and somebody dropped him, He should be on your fantasy squad. He's going to get the opportunity, especially when the whole Pittsburgh lineup returns to health. He's obviously, it goes without saying, he's worth having 30 points in 36 games played so far. Welcome back, Patrick Hornquist. I'm sure many fantasy owners are very happy to see you. Yeah, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. So when Malkin comes back, there's only room for at most four forwards on that top power play. So Crosby, Malkin... Then you've got Kunitz, Hornqvist, and Perron who are going to fight over those uh, two extra spots. So definitely one person will fall short. It's probably going to be Perron, I would guess, but I'll be interested to see. Yeah, if we're going by tenor, that's what would happen. I also feel like the Penguins have enough to like make two really good power play units, but we've seen them as a team that leans really heavily on that first power play unit. They really only put out that second unit when the first unit needs a rest or in, you know, some abnormal situation. It's a very sought-after spot, just like the one in Dallas, Elon, which maybe we'll look into a little later on this week's show. And it's a big bonus to own a player who gets to play on that first unit. 
This next player that I want to talk about is pretty interesting. He's had quite the up and down season. Tyler Toffoli, as we all remember, 14 points in 11 games in October, became, along with Tanner Pearson, you know, two of the most popular players to own back in October, but it's not October anymore. We're in February, so what's the value of Tyler Toffoli? He was injured for a while, now he's back, and in his first game back, he had a goal and an assist, so a great way to start. Overall on the season, in 43 games played, he has 13 goals and 16 assists for 29 points in 43 games, which is, of course, very fantasy-relevant, though those numbers go way down if you take out October. Brian, if Tyler Toffoli is available in people's free agency lists, is he worth owning now that he's back and healthy on the Kings? Well, you take out that October and you have somebody who's not even half a point per game. He's got 15 points in 32 games since then. He's playing with Jeff Carter and Jeff Carter is playing well. So I'd say that's a positive. That's a good thing for him. And you probably could do worse. Like if you're looking at guys who are around the half point per game mark, like a 45, 50 point pace, he'd be, you know, on the upper level of that group of people. So I suggest that in some leagues he's worth taking, but again, I don't think he's worth running to. I think you're going to want to see where he takes it from here and kind of measure the upside that he's got against the upside of the player that you drop for him. If you've got somebody who's already a 50 point guy, I'm not going to mess with that. I'm going to keep him and leave Toffoli in free agency. If I have somebody who's really gone dry and had a similar season as Toffoli, but maybe was hot last month or two months ago instead of way back in October, then I'd consider making that switch. Yeah, also worth mentioning, no power play time for Toffoli at the moment. So he's only going to help you on even strength. Let's go back to the Islanders now quickly. We talked about Ocposo injured and all of those people. We forgot to mention, though, that Lubomir Viznovsky is back. And how many times this season have we said Viznovsky's injured, Viznovsky's back? He seems like a decent guy to own when he's healthy. He scored a goal yesterday in his first game back, for example. But he seems to never be healthy. And he hasn't been having, I guess, the greatest season. 12 points in 30 games is okay for a defenseman in a deep league. Obviously, he's not someone who's going to be a must-grab now that he's healthy. But Brian, do you see any reason to expect things to go better or worse for Viznovsky now that he's back? I don't think so. It's been a few seasons since he's put up a pace that we could really get excited about, and injuries are going to be a concern for him from now until he retires. He doesn't offer a whole lot in the ways of peripherals. I think the only thing that he's got going for him is that the Isles power play does shift somewhat frequently. I mean, Johnny Boychuk is definitely the guy there, but Nick Letty would be the other guy, except he's only managed five power play points through 49 games played. He's producing at a lower points per 60 rate with a man advantage than Lubomir Viznovsky, who has actually averaged a little bit more power play time per game during the games that he's been in the lineup for. We've already seen Viznovsky bounce around the depth chart a lot earlier this year. We had high hopes for him when he first showed up, and we added him ourselves to our team, Elon, and we dropped him promptly, and I'm going to go back. It's because his peripherals just don't offer a whole lot. If he's not on that power play, and if he's not producing on that power play, and even when he is on the power play, his numbers haven't been that great. Just four power play points to date. He's only getting like a shot and a half per game. He doesn't hit, he doesn't block shots, he doesn't do really anything at all except occasionally score on the power play. He was a great player, he's not so much going to be able to produce what he used to, and especially if he does get bounced up and down the lineup as he was earlier this season, 
I'm not going to put a whole lot of eggs in Viznovsky's basket. Okay, so no for Tyler Toffoli, no for Lubomir Viznovsky, but Brian, hey, how about Patrick Eves over on Dallas? He's back, and he's played three games so far and has three points, all on the power play. So this is a guy who you must want to add, right? On the season, he has 11 points in 22 games, which isn't terrible, and now that he's on this first power play in Dallas... Come on, Brian. Do people need to grab Patrick Eves? First, I think we should offer our congratulations to Patrick Eves. He now has four power play points on the season, which represents his highest power play production since the 2006-2007 season when he was on the Stanley Cup finalist Ottawa Senators squad. He had six power play points that season, and that is his career high He's on track to perhaps eclipse it this year, and you can tell that my excitement is somewhat sarcastic, because if you look over the last several seasons, he has, like, maximum three power play points, zero sometimes. It's it's just not a role that he's been put in a lot. It's exciting that he's there in Dallas, and I feel like this has happened to so many players in Dallas this season. We've talked about Cody Eakin. We've talked about Colton Sevier. We've talked about Trevor Daly, and he's a bit of a different case because he's a little bit more established. He sticks around a little bit longer than the other guys do. But still, I feel like in Dallas, it's a big thing to be in the right place at the right time, and that's what Patrick Eves is doing right now. He's on that first power play unit. He's getting time on that top line with Tyler Sagan and Jamie Benn. So could you do worse for a pickup? Yeah, you could do a lot worse. Would I choose him over Tyler Toffoli, though? I don't think so. If you're trying to get me to say yes to somebody, I don't think it's going to be Patrick Eves. If I'm looking really short term and I have, like, unlimited transactions in my league, then sure, I'll add him, I'll ride it out, and I'll see how long it goes. But it's not going to go for, like, longer than a couple weeks if we can go by what we've seen so far in the line shuffling in Dallas. And then if you do add him now and Tyler Toffoli gets snatched up and then Eves moves down the death chart, I think that's something you'll probably regret. Yeah, it'd be so handy to have a mole working for the Dallas Stars because I would love to know what they're planning because anyone on that top line and on that top power play does great. All the players you mentioned were so good on that line. I don't know why they keep taking these people off. Well, I guess they want to, you know, just do even better. And the Stars are obviously not such a great team this year and are probably not going to make the playoffs. So, okay, I understand why you keep shuffling. But for fantasy owners, man, just stick with something. Let Patrick Eves be that guy who wins the season for me. But I agree with you, Brian. It's probably not going to last. Another player on Dallas who we thought was there in a good position and then sort of went away and we said maybe you don't want him anymore, but now is hot again, is John Klingberg. He's had quite a run lately. Just yesterday, two goals and two assists against Winnipeg, a four-point game. The game before that against Ottawa, he had a goal and an assist. That's six points in the last two games. And lo and behold, he's also up on that top power play right now with Patrick Eves and then Ben Sagan and Spezza. So, Brian, what is the deal with this John Klingberg? I'm sure that he's been grabbed in a lot of leagues lately. Is he someone now that you, again, want to have on your team? Or do we just assume that he's also going to go back to 13 minutes like he did the last time that everyone grabbed him and he was the talk of the town? Yeah, it was really exciting. And then we saw his ice time and his role dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. But at the end of the day, look at his point totals. He has 24 points in 35 games, and I'm surprised by that a lot, especially with the ups and downs of the season that he's had so far. He is shooting very well. He's got like almost a 16% success rate in his own shots, and while he's on the ice, his teammates are seeing a bit more luck. 
than they probably should be. Not unreasonably, though. And actually, one thing that impresses me is that in all situations, so I'm not just looking at even strength, so all that time on the power play is helping him in this, but he leads the Dallas Defense Corps by a fair margin in terms of possession. So he's having a good season. He's producing better than anyone in terms of production per 60 minutes. And even with that drop in ice time, Elon, that we saw earlier in the season, he's still averaging enough minutes to place third on the team behind Trevor Daly and Alex Goligoski in ice time per game. So there are a lot of reasons to add him. Not a ton of reasons not to, except for like regression. I mean, he's had four multi-point games in his last eight contests. And obviously that is not something that's going to keep up. If you didn't have him in your lineup and you add him today, don't expect him to mirror the production that he just did over the last eight games. But seems to me like somebody scoring at like a two-thirds of a point per game rate through 35 games played is worth adding to your lineup and riding, especially because I feel like the lower ranks of defensemen this year can be pretty thin and even pretty fickle. So if you can get Klingberg onto your team right now, I think that's a decent move as long as you're not giving up too much. Like, I don't think you want to give up anybody who's scored 40 points in a season before to do it. Yeah, Dallas is such a hard team. There's still Trevor Daly actually available in our joint league. I'm thinking now we probably want to get him back. He's also a bit hot lately. Goligoski, like we've talked about before, is back to not doing very much. So it's tough to predict anyone on Dallas, really, aside from Sagan and Ben. Also, Jason Spezza is someone who we've talked about as going up and down throughout the season. I feel like that might be the team at the end of the year that we've had the most correct and incorrect predictions about. Yeah, when you were just saying, like, their first power play unit features John Klingberg and Patrick Eves, it's kind of like, what what are they doing? What's going on on this roster? I mean, Ben and Sagan and, like, any three other guys is their first power play unit, and it usually doesn't matter. They still see success. Of course, there is one glaring outjury that we hadn't mentioned. We've talked about him way too much, so just Matthew Perot, three games so far, two of them he's done nothing, one of them two goals, so... I'm sure everyone who had Matthew Perot was happy to have him in their roster for that great game. We'll obviously keep monitoring and we'll bring up Matthew Perot only when something significant happens with him or with Winnipeg. Yeah, for now, our endorsement is implicit. We're not going to remind you every single week to pick him up. All right, so let's talk about some moves, some roster moves that have been made recently. In fact, just today, Tampa Bay announced that they are waving Evgeny Nabokov and calling up Vasilevsky. So, wait, do I have to rush really quickly now and grab Vasilevsky? Because he did so well when Bishop was injured. Bishop's not injured now, though. So how many games can we expect from Vasilevsky, and is he worth an add? If your league is the kind of league where players like Cam Talbot and Nicholas Fedberg and Martin Jones are on teams, then I think, yeah, I think he's probably worth an add. Although if you look at Bishop, he's maybe on his way to writing the ship. We've went into great detail both on the show and on Twitter at Keeping Carlson, about the difficulties that Bishop has been having this season. But six of his last nine starts have been quality starts, and he continues to win games thanks to that fantastic Tampa offense. So it's not like they're in a big rush to, you know, make a switch and see if they can solve any glaring goaltending issue. I think it's good news for Vasilevsky. He's going to get in a few games for the rest of the year. I don't think he's got a shot to take over number one or 1A, even like the best case scenario. I think it was long overdue for Nabokov to be placed on waivers. I don't think he should have been on the roster this year. It seemed to be more a matter of when they were ready to bring Vasilevsky out of the AHL because I think now he's out for good. I imagine he stays with Tampa for the rest of the season. 
And then as time runs out on Ben Bishop's contract, the competition heats up for that number one job on Tampa. If you're in a keeper league, you absolutely should be adding Andre Vasilevsky. And another player who was waived recently is Mike Richards. LA finally sent him down. He's got that huge contract and not much to show for it. 15 points in 47 games this season. He was only playing like 10, 11 minutes. Is there anything left in the Mike Richards tank? Like, can he go to some other team at some point and do something, Brian? Or do you think he's like for sure in any league you're in, regardless of if if it's a dynasty league or what? Like, is Mike Richards done? Fantasy-wise, he's done. He's been done for, like, I think a couple years now. I've actually had the displeasure of owning him for the last couple years. I thought he was, like, a steady guy, underrated. And I think he had little spurts, and, like, there was a little bit of reason going into that. But everything, everything I've seen about him, if you look at his production, if you look at his possession, none of it is positive. There's just nothing really good to say about his game lately. If you have him and you're in a keeper league, you can hope that he's traded to an organization that gives him a fresh start. But it seems as though there's a long road ahead for Mike Richards. I'm not saying it's impossible, but if he's on your team, you can safely drop him for the rest of the season. He's been snoozing like beyond the start of this season. You know, it's only a couple years ago in 2012-2013 in 48 games, he had 32 points. He was very relevant, but how quickly he's fallen off. That's a shame. Okay. Let's talk about also one other interesting player who I had never heard of, but is playing today in nets for the Arizona Coyotes. Brian, I might need some help with pronunciation. Is it Louis Domingue? It's actually Louis Domingue. Darn. Okay, well, anyway, I don't know if it's going to be our recommendation to pick up Louis Domingue, considering that Arizona is so terrible And so far in their game against Montreal today, they're in the second period and it's already 2-0 for Montreal. So just a point of clarification, you know, maybe you'll get some starts out of him throughout the season if he stays with the team. And I don't know if he really counts saves. I don't even know. The most bottom of the barrel guy, but he is playing in the NHL. So good for him. Yes, this is the spottiest of spot starts. Okay, so we still have a tantalizing segment of sustainable or fleeting still to come. I've got some interesting players to bring up there. But first, Brian, what time is it? 2.49 p.m. on Sunday afternoon Eastern Time. That's right. It's time to thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson for supporting the show. For any new listeners, we have this thing called being a patron of Keeping Carlson. You could donate $5 a month to help support the show And you get rewards such as access to the patron-only Facebook group, where just 26 minutes ago, the news broke about Vasilevsky, and people are already discussing what's going to happen and whether people should pick them up. Of course, really, you just have to listen to the podcast to hear about that. Brian already told you. But you could be having discussions about this before the podcast even drops. The Facebook group is really fun. Brian and I are there all the time trying to help people out with their daily fantasy decisions. Also, we're going to have our next patron cast coming up. It's like a call-in show, and you could ask us questions. We answer on the spot, a show just for the patrons. So if you're interested in becoming a patron of Keeping Carlson, go and check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And I want to thank Bill Powers for signing up last week. Great to have you aboard, Bill. Brian, let's get to sustainable or fleeting. I feel like most of the time the answer is fleeting. So I think I'm going to keep count this time of how many sustainable players I could get out of you. The thing is, Brian is a conservative guy, everybody. He's not just going to jump at the hot player in the moment. Any fancy hockey podcast could say, this guy has five points in the last five games, so you should take him. But Brian is probably going to say no to a lot of these people. But let's see. Number one, Brian, Michael Delzato. 
In his last six games, he has three goals and four assists. Seven points in six games for a defenseman. And this is a guy who had been written off by everyone. He's jumped around the league lately. But right now, Michael Delzato seems to be one of the hottest fantasy defensemen in the league. He's also playing over 20 minutes a game consistently now on Philadelphia, which is a big difference from when he was being healthy scratched earlier in the year. So Brian, what do you say? Michael Delzato, sustainable or fleeting? Delzato is like much maligned in my gut. Like, of course, there's been some bad publicity around him off the ice over the last year, but that's not something we're going to get too deep into on the show. You know, he started out his career looking really promising. He had 37 points in his rookie season with the Rangers, but then he fell off the next year, went into a sophomore slump. Then he came back in the next year, in the third year, and did well. And I don't know if his offensive production was really terribly in question over those first few seasons, but his defensive ability certainly was, and it seemed as though Rangers fans considered him a liability. And actually, over the last three seasons, that was more true than over the first two. This year, he's doing fine. He's about even with what we'd expect from any player on Philadelphia right now. What I do see, though, is he does see fewer scoring chances relative to the rest of his team so far this season. So he's converting on more of them lately, I suppose. He's had a great run, and his numbers are generally okay, like all his percentages seem sustainable. So while I initially wanted to immediately say, like, no, this is Michael Delzato, he's kind of like like a fringe NHLer right now with not much defensive acumen and really not much to offer offensively, he's doing pretty well for himself. In fact, he put up five shots on goal in the last game against Toronto during the one nothing victory. And he's blocking a couple shots too here and there. So there is just a touch of peripheral value involved. Also a couple hits a game. I don't know. You could do a lot worse. So I'm going to go with not going to continue on like this six game point streak that he's on. That's going to end eventually. But if you look at his total for the season, 16 points in 38 games, that puts him at about 35 points on the season. And of course, he's missed a few games to take that into account. But if you told me that Michael Delzato is a 35 point player with the Philadelphia Flyers, I would say, okay, sure, I think that's sustainable. Oh, look at that. So I guess there's someone that people can look for, someone that Brian says is sustainable, Michael Delzato. Yeah, I'm surprised he has really turned it around. You know, he's still young. So he could still have a pretty good career ahead of him if, you know, things are finally on track. And speaking of young defensemen, let's talk about Seth Jones. I actually wrote down that I wanted to talk about him at the beginning of this week, back when he was riding a five-game point streak. Since then, it's been a couple of games with nothing. So I'm not sure exactly what's currently going on with Seth Jones. It seems like he's had an uptick ever since Ryan Ellis went down with an injury at the beginning of January. But Brian, does Seth Jones have a chance to keep up some form of production? You know, I know that Nashville already has Weber and Yosey ahead of him. Where do you think Seth Jones fits in, at least offensively? Offensively, I think he's going to need to get his time on the power play, where he has been the most productive player. If you're looking at points per 60 minutes, at even strength, it's not the same story. He hasn't been able to capitalize on the opportunities he's been given because he also isn't really getting, like, the toughest deployment 
relative to the rest of his teammates, he's seeing a lot of offensive zone starts and relatively easy competition. If you look at the shutdown pair in Nashville, it's Shea Weber and Roman Yosi, and then Ryan Ellis and Matias Alcom are also seeing more difficult deployment than Seth Jones has so far. The good news is that he's done well with it. He has been a positive possession player in that time. But I think until he becomes a fixture on the top power play unit, or at least sees more ice time as a member of the second power play unit, I would expect his production to not necessarily take off. Last year, he had 25 points in 77 games. This year, he has three goals and 12 assists for 15 points in 48 games so far. Part of that recent run where he did have a nice little stretch, he had five points in five games. Three of those points came as power play assists. So I don't know if his power play production is sustainable. Like I said, he is producing at a better rate than Shea Weber and Roman Yosi with the man advantage. I'm not sure if that truly reflects his skill. We'll have to see as he gets more time. But if you're looking at his even strength production, it has been low and that is sustainable. So maybe that's like an underhanded sustainable sort of mention for Seth Jones. So basically you're saying don't pick him up, grab Del Zotto instead. If I was picking one or the other right now, yeah, especially in a one-year league, I would see how far Del Soto can take me. It feels really weird to say, I have to be honest, I did not think before I started looking into the numbers that I'd feel this way about Del Soto. If anybody can convince me otherwise, like, I'm ready. Tell me he's not going to be good. You can let us know on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. And I guess now we should do our standard, let's pick a random player on Florida who's all of a sudden doing amazing. Alex Barkov... Listen to these numbers, okay? In October, he had one point in eight games. November, three points in 10 games. December, two points in eight games. So, like, in conclusion, he was a big nobody, not relevant for fantasy purposes at all. Then in January, he has had nine points in 10 games. He's led the team in points in the month. He's playing with Jonathan Huberdeau, who we mentioned earlier, was also doing very well. He also has nine points over that stretch. So, Brian, Alex Barkov, is he going to keep up this production and be one of the top players on Florida, or is he going to go back to doing nothing at all? He wasn't exactly a nobody. We've mentioned before that his defensive play this year has been so strong and, like, so mature. He's been given a fairly tough role to fill, and he's done a fantastic job of doing it. Unfortunately, the scoring didn't come, but we're looking at, like, a tale of two Barkovs in terms of percentages. If you look from the start of the season to December, he had an on-ice shooting percentage of 3.6%. If you look now, that on-ice shooting percentage is at a very, maybe too healthy, 12.9%. His own personal shooting percentage has also doubled if you look at those two samples. So what's happening is, well, he really had some hard luck through the first few months of the season, and I don't attribute that to his ability to produce. Now he's seeing some fantastic luck to offset that hard luck that he saw, and I also don't necessarily attribute it completely to his ability to produce, especially at the pace he's on. He's at a point-per-game pace. I don't know if he's there yet as a player. He probably will be one day, but I like him, and I don't know if this is a little aggressive, but I like him as, like, a 50-point pace player for the rest of the season. So, so far, he's got 15 points in 36 games played. There's another, you know, 35 games or so. You could hope for 20 in that span. I think he's worth adding to your team in many leagues, especially if you've been seeing what he's doing. Some of his goals have been highlight reel, his assists as well. I really like Alexander Barkov. And like I said, like this possession, like what he's able to do, with the puck and what he can do in terms of driving play while he's on the ice 
is like the cherry on top. I'm a big fan of Alex Barkov. And Elon, while we're on the topic of Florida Panthers players that we kind of love, I'm going to throw Aaron Ekblad's name out there again. And this isn't to extol his virtues as a fantasy player because we already know he should be on your team. Like, it's foolish if he's still available in your league. It means nobody's paying attention, including you, and you're probably not listening to the podcast. Let's just take a moment to recognize in the bigger picture what he's doing this season as an 18-year-old in the NHL If you take a look at all the defensemen who have played a season in the NHL who have been 19 or younger, and they've played at least 40 games in the season, and you sort them by points per game, where do you think Aaron Ekblad rates? Uh, Well, I imagine since you're bringing it up that it's probably pretty high. Top five? Number one. Whoa! He's number one. He is averaging 0.6 point per games, which is higher than Brian Berard's 0.59 points per game in 96-97. Tyler Myers actually put up the same number in 09-10 with Buffalo. So maybe you're like, ah, Aaron Eckblad, are we sure? But I think we're sure. And, you know, to really ultimately put this in context, we all love Eric Carlson when he was a 19-year-old. So he was actually a year older than Aaron Eckblad in this season. He put up 0.43 points per game. Man. Well, we mentioned a couple months back that you should grab Aaron Ekblad if he's a free agent. Hopefully you did. Seems like he's going to have a great career ahead of him. So if you have him in a keeper league, you're golden. Absolutely. I just want to point out that what he's doing just is not exciting for your fantasy hockey team. It's exciting for hockey. So try and watch this kid if you get a chance. One last player to end the show. Let's talk about Jordan Stahl. We mentioned him when he was about to come back for Carolina, and we haven't followed up until now. And so far in 13 games, he's got nine points, which is unbelievable. That's a higher point per game pace than he's had for quite a few seasons, probably since he's been on Pittsburgh, right, Brian? Yeah, Stahl has actually been like my Alex Semin from seasons past. Like last season, he had 40 points in 82 games, but I drafted him and I lost patience with him, and rightfully so. He did not reach the half point per game mark last season. The year before, in the lockout shortened season, was all right. He had 31 points in 48 games, but still, we have not seen him hit 50 points, and maybe the lockout shortened season was the reason since 2011-12 with Pittsburgh, and he did that in 62 games played. So I'm excited by what he's doing right now. What doesn't excite me and has never excited me about Jordan Stahl is his shot rate is lousy. Like, he is lucky to get two shots a game over the last two seasons. He averaged, like, two and, like, a little bit in his first year in Carolina, but I'm excited that he's playing with Eric Stahl and producing his four power play assists already. His shooting percentage is low, so perhaps he could have even scored, even though he's not taking a lot of shots. Maybe he should have scored on more than one of his 20 shots on goal so far. I actually just added him to my team, which was a big step for me, because we had a a really rough breakup last year. And the pace he's on right now over full season would give him 57 points. I feel like that's optimistic. That would be a big jump to make after such a disappointing season last year. But if he even puts up a 50-point-per-game pace right now, I'm happy with him, and I see that as a positive step, especially in such an offense-poor situation as Carolina is in right now. Yeah, it's definitely one of these situations where... I guess if someone has to score, it seems like Jordan Stahl is being involved with it. And hey, top line, top power play, 
playing with Eric Stahl, which should be really good. So it's a good situation. So far, he's taking advantage of it. And I agree with you, Brian. I think that was a good pickup that you made. I think you're going to be happier with him than you were last year. And if not, hopefully you won't be so uh, reticent to drop him since you just picked him up as a free agent. No, I'm ready. I could barely add him to my team. So I think the, there's an itchy trigger finger when it, when it comes to potentially dropping him. And with that, we've reached the end of another episode of Keeping Carlson. Hey, Brian, how about for next week, we have no injuries to discuss? Wouldn't that be... Oh, wait, I just got a notification on my phone that Kevin Shattenkirk is injured in his game today against Washington. So we might be talking more about that next week. Oh, that that's crushing. Oh, my goodness. Okay, I hope he's okay. And I wish for the same Elon. So let's hope for the health of all NHLers. And also, before we close the show... I want to mention Anthony 85 on Twitter responded to the question I asked in my interview with Scott Cullen about performers in the second half who tends to up their production after the All-Star break. And he found two. He found Jerome Aginla over the course of his career has produced at a pace 11% more productive than his pace before the All-Star break. And Blake Wheeler moves up from being like a 0.64 point-per-game player to a 0.73 point-per-game player after the All-Star break. I'm not sure what the threshold for significance is here, but those are two good examples. I'm sure what a Ginla's difference between pre- and post-All-Star is significant. I don't know if it matters so much now at this point in his career, but if you find any more, it's actually really fun to look through. Feel free to tweet at us. I'm going for the trifecta. I'm mentioning our Twitter account three times at Keeping Carlson. Okay, and since you've already mentioned the Twitter account, I'll mention that you could give us a five-star review on iTunes if you want to support the show and give us some recognition without, you know, exposing us to your friends who you're probably in hockey pools with and you don't want them to know about us at all. So go on iTunes, leave us an anonymous five-star review. And with that, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, read us the credits. Okay, this show was presented by Daily Faceoff and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from... War on Ice, Puckalytics, Behind the Net, NHL.com, Yahoo Sports, Roto World, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job, man. Looking forward to doing this all again next week. No injuries. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sainz.